Hello and welcome to this episode of the Musician's Journey podcast, where I'm catching up today with Leah Tagami Andonov, who I've known for a long time, but rarely talked about experiences she's gained from years of working as a violinist in the Oslo Philharmonic Orchestra, as well as one year as a concertmaster for the Danish Radio Orchestra in Copenhagen. Because of the intense competition for jobs in professional orchestras, the idea of me working in one has been lying on the shelf for some time, but talking with Leah made me motivated to see if there will at least be auditions for cellist substitutes here in Stockholm. It's been a while since I last dived into this particular planet, and I include more of my personal musician's journey and the context around each episode in a weekly newsletter I send to those who support my making of this podcast through my Patreon coffee, which I'll link to in the show notes. But here is a glimpse into life as an orchestral musician, and of course into Leah's journey as a musician. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, sure. <laughs> um, I my name is Leah Tagami Andono. I'm a tutti first violinist in the Oslo Philharmonic, and um, married to uh, Petra Andono, who's a pianist. <laughs> I don't know what else should I say. <laughs> No, that's totally fine. It's a yeah. hard question for many. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how did a violinist from Washington, D.C. find herself playing in the Oslo Philharmonic? That's a good question. I met a Norwegian violin teacher at a summer course when I was Well, I first met him when I was maybe 15, and then I went back to the summer course when I was 17. And um, I just realized that if I wanted to continue studying music, I really need to study with this violin teacher. So I managed to convince my parents to let me move to Norway to do my bachelor's there, my bachelor's in music at Baradue Music Institute in Oslo. And... Um, Yeah, and I just continued my studies. I did a master's in London, but then I ended up coming back to Norway because I got a job in the Philharmonic um, here. So that's the story. How long have <laughs> you been playing now for the Philharmonic in Oslo? Um, I got my permanent position and I started working as a permanent player in 2013. But I'd been subbing there for a while while I was studying so it was kind of a dream job for me probably from farther back yeah I wanted to ask you about that like during your music studies did mm -hmm. you then have a clear direction and knew what you wanted to make a living from um I think my subconscious was very clear I think subconsciously I knew I think when I was studying I was still trying to stretch and explore so I was thinking oh maybe I could be a soloist or start a string quartet or you know I wasn't really closing myself to any options but I think deep down when I started subbing as a student in the Philharmonic that kind of became a seed for um, that being being my dream job 
because it was just always so amazing to play there and I always felt like I was appreciated and like I belonged there. So, yeah, somewhere I knew <laughs> in the subconscious. <laughs> and even though you at some point managed to get a position in a professional symphony orchestra, you yeah. still need to keep your uh, daily practice going, right? Yes. You can't yes. just um, then relax and just go to work and that's <laughs> it. So no. can you share how your daily practice looks like and what are the different uh, influences on how it looks like? Hmm. I almost always start by warming up. So if I have three or four hours um, to practice, then usually the whole first hour will just be um, not stuff that I actually need to prepare. So it will be warming up like scales and technical exercises to warm up the fingers and the body. And then maybe some solo stuff like Bach or maybe if I really want to be in super shape, some kind of concerto or some Isai or Paganini or something. And then after that, I go into whatever I'm working on, either the orchestra music or maybe some chamber music or maybe some audition excerpts. Because you, you still continue to audition, even though you <laughs> secure the permanent position. Yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> I'm not sure how much longer that's going to last. I kind of feel a bit old and eager to settle down. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the moment, yes, I am continuing to do auditions. Is it because of the, the thrill you get of that challenge? that uh, it's uh, something specific that challenges you? Maybe. I mean, yeah, like some of my friends have called me like a audition junkie. <laughs> that They think that I get the thrill out of that, <laughs> of the actual audition, which, I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe they know me better than I know myself. That could be, but I'm not sure if I agree I think what excites me the most is the opportunities that that new job can bring. For example, if it's a leader position, to be able to lead the orchestra in exciting concerts and stuff like that. Mm. But yeah, I mean, that's also a really good way to stay in shape if you want to stay in shape for your own job as well. So, yeah. yeah. So I've taken part in four auditions for professional orchestras without ever making it to the second round and when you and I last talked one week ago yeah in Oslo for a coffee um, you told me how you prepare for an audition and I realized I never made the proper attempt at preparing well enough for the occasion would you like to share how you prepare for an audition sure um So I think what I told you um, a week ago was that, you know, the the difficult part of an audition is that is the nerves and the entire situation, which is not which is very different from like a live concert situation, because you have a jury instead of an audience and you're competing against people. And there's all these circumstances that make it kind of 
or it's supposed to be supposed supposedly unpleasant. So it's helpful to practice that that specific situation. So um, to not just practice the stuff that you're going to play, but to actually practice performing. So playing in front of people in like a mock audition situation. And <laughs> I mean, I guess my um, my method is kind of extreme, but <laughs> what I like to do is to play like a mock audition every day for two weeks before the audition. So 14 times before the audition. So that when it's act when the actual audition happens, then it just kind of feels like routine. And then um, I find that I have more freedom than to kind of really express myself and be spontaneous because I've done it so many times. Mm. So um, what I always think after the first run through, so like the, you know, two weeks before, after I play, it usually doesn't go very well. And then, I'm always like, okay, so if I hadn't done, if I hadn't started this now, if I hadn't done this, this is how I would sound or worse at the actual audition. So <laughs> it's a really interesting process. Oh, that's so inspiring to hear. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start emailing the orchestras here to ask if they have auditions for, uh, what's it called? Substitutes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it would be super fun to be on this list of substitutes. Yeah. And it would be fun also to to take this audition. It's such a nostalgic thing to be doing. It It's so embedded in, you know, my memories of studying music. Yeah, right, right. The repertoire, especially, mm -hmm. and the, the situation coming in there and then playing with some pianists I've never seen before. Uh, yeah. with a screen in front of me and yeah, yeah it definitely makes sense what you say about practicing the actual situation so I will take that to heart and I will yeah. let you know how it goes sometime in the future yeah do that yeah and don't forget to um choose people who make you nervous like it doesn't help to play for your best friend who's super nice 14 times right so no. And also play for um, people who actually play in the orchestra. You can get tips, you know, try to get lessons. And Oh, another thing you can do is um, <laughs> to simulate the feeling of the nerves. If you, like, run up and down some stairs or, like, just, like, run in place for, like, a few minutes. And then just, like, sit down right away and try to play. Yeah. Then your heart rate is up. Mm -hmm. That's that's also just if you do that a couple of times, just so that you get used to not panicking when your heart rate is up and just realizing that you can actually still play. <laughs> yeah. 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 And really trying to tune into the body to, you know, so I, I can see my bow is not very steady on the string. How can I make the best out of this situation yeah right, right, right. yeah because yeah. i've experienced that many times in an audition setting that uh, uh, one or both of my hands they just they don't have this uh, uh, groundedness that i usually have when i practice so there is this weightless aspect suddenly mm -hmm. uh, which is horrible when i'm supposed to just 
relax with the gravity. Let the gravity help me, you know? My finger, they're supposed to press down the string and the bow is supposed to put some pressure on onto the string. And mm-hmm. yeah, that can be tough for me. Sure. Uh, during my studies, my teacher said that he could hear when I was taking part in an orchestra project at school because my sound was shaped to fit in with other cellos rather than, you know, stick out as a soloist. Wow. You consciously separate between violin section sound and and soloist sound? Yeah, 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 for sure. Definitely. It's very different to play in orchestra as opposed to chamber music is a completely different thing. And then solo, you know, if you play a solo recital, that's also very different from playing solo with orchestra where you just kind of have to blast everything usually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I guess it's all different. But I guess also, I don't think about it so consciously. I don't know. I think it just kind of happens naturally that you, you know, you're you're blending in with um, who you're playing with. And if you're in a ch- in chamber music, you're you only have to blend with maybe three or four other people. So each voice is a little bit more important. And but obviously, if you're in a group with fourteen other <laughs> violinists, then yeah, I guess the sound changes a lot but it's not hard for you to transition between them if you then have a concert with something where you have to be a soloist and you just played your usual uh, project with the orchestra yeah I think that depend that depends a lot on um it's really important to get in enough practice outside of orchestra rehearsal so if I was only playing in orchestra rehearsal and then suddenly had to play solo, then I think my sound would be affected. But as long as I'm getting my, you know, hearing my own sound and getting in my exercises and <laughs> taking care of my own sound outside of the rehearsal, then I don't think that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it interesting this how one finds one's you know routines for daily practice and I can sometimes feel like oh, others uh, have this really good idea why they're doing what they're doing and mm-hmm. uh, like routines they've had for years maybe of some scales and studies and then I can easily imagine that there is still something I'm doing wrong just for no reason that's so personal though I mean, I think you're right. Everybody has their own routine, but it's just so, it's like a finger, what do you call it, a fingerprint or something. I mean, it's just so incredibly personal. And I guess you have to find your own routine. I, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure if there's like a, there's no wrong answer either, right? So maybe you're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the scariest thing about orchestral auditions for me is before when you, hear everyone warming up in the rooms mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I have this feeling of, oh wow everyone know what they're doing so well <laughs> yeah I know there's this other um like a one of my secret weapons that really also changed my changed my life in a way when it comes to auditions and it's a TED talk on YouTube about posture so if you just search TED Talk posture on YouTube, it comes up. It's absolutely incredible. It's like 
basically they were able to prove that if you change your posture a little bit before you go into something important where you're going to be judged, like、mm-hmm. a job interview or an audition, it can drastically change the what do you call it the impression that people have of you during the interview just by changing your posture.、Mm-hmm. So. You know, just I, you know, I used to be like a little mouse and just be so shy and、um, just lacking confidence. And exactly what you were saying about just like, oh my gosh, everybody around me is is better than me, and and I still struggle with that. But this this thing really helps. Of just、um, you're supposed to just hold like a power pose, like with your arms like stretched out like this, and like a victory pose, like just. Really like spreading out your body and taking up as much space as possible for two minutes,、mm. um, right before you go on stage. And I tell you, it really works. Yeah, because that's、um, that's the struggle, right? To kind of because it is a competition, and all those people that you're listening to have every right to be there, and I'm sure they've worked really hard, but you have as well. And they're not going to play for you, and they're not thinking about you. So, in that moment, it's just you, and you have to take care of yourself, and you know, give yourself a fair chance at it. So, yeah, that TED talk really helped me to kind of take up space. <laughs> yeah, that's great yeah. to hear. Yeah, I、uh, like to think about that. If I feel self-conscious, that no one actually care about me at all. <laughs> Everyone care about themselves. Yeah, yeah. And I really notice a difference the days when I do some yoga that includes some, you know, warrior poses. There you go. Something like that. Right. It it definitely makes a, a change to、mm-hmm. the day, and.、Uh, And I feel my back is straight throughout the day. Yeah,、right. it makes a difference. Yeah, it's what's really fascinating is that you're not hurting anybody by doing that. I think before maybe I thought that I would hurt someone by taking up space that wasn't mine or something, but it's the、mm-hmm. opposite. Because if you have a gift, then the only way other people can, you know, take advantage of that or Appreciate it or receive it is if you dare to use it and really show yourself and be a positive influence, right? Yeah, yeah. In the orchestra, how do you prepare for a new project? Do you read the score and listen to recordings? Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, I love reading scores. It's like a cheat sheet. You you know you only see your own part. You're like, oh, what's happening here? Oh, I don't know where to come in. And then you look at the score, and you're like, aha ha! Now I know the answer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that. And listening to recordings, I also like to, after I've like kind of gone through the music and really practiced it and gotten it in my fingers, I like to play, play through it with a recording. Like with headphones or something,、mm. and just put a mute on my violin so that I can get a feeling for how it will be like to play in orchestra. Wow, that's such good preparation. I sometimes imagine that when working in an orchestra for a long time, one just stops doing those things. 
Do you see that? Well, to be honest, I don't study the score every week. If I'm when I especially if I'm playing Tutti, then I'll find try to find the score and look in places where I really don't know what's going on. But it's not it's not the same at like if I was concert master, I would really study the score and try to learn it inside out. Mm. But yeah, I don't really because there's just so much. I mean, a score can be you know hundreds of pages if it's a big piece. And that's yeah, that's too much work for me, so I don't do that. But definitely the like playing with the recording, listening to recordings. But things also get easier because the more you play, for example, if say if next week's music was a Tchaikovsky symphony or a Brahms symphony. I might not necessarily listen to the music a bunch of times because I've played it so so often, mm-hmm. and also since I've played it so much, it's much easier to pick up as well. What kind of personality would you say fits well with a job in an orchestra? Hmm, I guess that depends on which position, but it is important to a certain extent to, you know, be able to work with other people. And to make compromises. I mean, compared to being a soloist or a freelancer, there's maybe less creative freedom in the sense that you can't really choose. Most of the time, you're not going to choose what's going to be played um, from week to week. It's kind of rigid in that sense. So, you know, if you're a really, really creative type that has just a bunch of you know, innovative ideas about different concerts and, you know, collaborations with actors or dancers or I don't know what, just, you know, that kind of creative artist. I think people like that tend to struggle a little bit in an orchestra setting because it's more of like a rigid conservative setup, I guess. Mm. But... um You know, social, like orchestra is very social. So if you like to be around people, if you like the feeling of playing something huge, like a huge piece with 99 other people on stage, this, this, these huge experiences, being a part of something that's bigger than you, if you like that kind of thing, then it's perfect. Yeah. 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 I always really loved it and uh, I was thinking that being an orchestra musician would be something that I could do or that I would do and then it just yeah didn't happen and maybe <laughs> maybe that's for the better but there is a time for everything there is a time for everything and you're still young you can still audition if you want to yeah I can do that and yeah like you were saying you can If you get on the sub list, then you can still have, you know, you can get that experience and at the same time have the freedom to to do the projects that you want to do. Yeah. So we have a whole symphony orchestra project every week and your own individual practice. How do you avoid injuries? Is that something you're thinking about? Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> Right now, my arm is really, really messed up, um, probably because we had a big program last week. So, yeah, that is something that we have to be careful of. And I find that the mental part of it 
is also very much connected to pain and injuries. So if I'm in a good place mentally and I'm having fun and everything is well, then I'm much less likely to get injured even if I have a lot to do. But if there's something that's stressing me out or, you know, maybe maybe it's because I'm too much in my head so I'm not paying attention to my body and I'm not resting when I should be or something. So, yeah, everything is connected and um, that's definitely something I have to think about Mm. and make sure to to stretch before and after playing and taking baths helps. (laughs) Yeah. And, of course, the yoga and all of that stuff helps as well. Both yeah. for the physical and the mental yeah. yeah yeah the times I've been really close to an injury has been in these orchestra courses in the summers when it's just been a lot of orchestra every day yeah. because being in an orchestra I lose myself mm-hmm. so then when I'm just practicing on my own then it's much easier to just stop when I feel I should stop. Right. But in an orchestra, you can't really stop, you know. You're just caught up in the music. Yeah. You have to go on. You have to get to the end of the symphony or whatever. I also think that some of those orchestra camps are really extreme. I mean, I don't know which ones you've been to, but some of the ones I went to were just, it was just so much music. And I'm just thinking, gosh, you don't want these kids to get injured before they <laughs> even start their Career, you know yeah. it's important to give them time to rest as well so I think the schedule in a professional orchestra is much less strenuous than those camps or at least in my orchestra yes <laughs> I think it varies I think working. yeah <laughs> yeah mm. I guess I'm one of the more fortunate ones you also played a little bit in Copenhagen was it different there well I mean I think I was practicing when I was in Denmark I was just practicing like crazy all the time a lot because it was a trial year and I also had a a, like a concert master position so I was probably stressing myself out (laughs) too much Mm -hmm. I probably didn't need to practice that much but I was definitely practicing a lot just because of those circumstances but that was also a very friendly orchestra I think maybe there was a little bit more work. There were maybe a little bit more hours, but not so much more. I don't know. It it was also a very different feel because it was a radio orchestra. So you could tell that they were (laughs) very um, conscious of how they looked on stage, which is not a bad thing. I mean, you know, because when people come to to a concert, they're also watching. They're not just listening, right? So they looked really great on stage, you know, and... So the like a lot of the concerts on the Thursdays were televised on national television since the National Radio Orchestra and all the women were decked out in beautiful gowns and lots of sparkly stuff and you know jewelry and yeah it was a very different feel from the the feel here yeah mm. but you chose to not continue yeah i chose to come back to norway yeah there were a lot of reasons for that, but um, I think I just missed Norway as a country as well. I've lived here for so long, and I also just have, I've worked in the Phil for so many years, and I had a have a real community of friends and colleagues here, so I think it was hard to imagine 
kind of starting from scratch again in a new country, mm. even though it's also Scandinavia, but it wasn't as similar as I expected it to be. <laughs> Denmark is, has a, quite a very a different feel to it. Yeah. So not in a bad way, but yeah, I every time I came back to Norway to visit, I, I just just kind of took a deep breath and felt really kind of relieved and felt like I was home. So I actually had a question about that. Uh, it was what determines where you choose to live? That's a good question. Oh, where I mean, me personally, mm-hmm. I I just think that it's really imp- probably the most important thing is who who you're surrounded by, the people that you're surrounded by. I mean, it, that's like in a very general sense, right? And as a musician, for me, it's also really important to I don't know. I just feel really fortunate to have this job where I get paid enough to make a decent living and to be able to like support myself and also have free time to do other things. And that's not always the case. It's hard to make a living as a musician. I mean, there are lots of world-class musicians that are just, you know, universes better than me who are struggling financially because it's hard to make a living as a musician. Mm. So for me personally, that's like money is actually like a a big, I think to be honest, it's like a big factor. So that also keeps me here, I guess, because it's a very good work-life balance. Yeah. Uh, So from the view, the orchestral view where where you're sitting in the violin section, has Mm -hmm. your... Uh, view on conducting changed over the years has my view on conducting changed (laughs) (laughs) um yes it definitely has changed I mean when I first started out I think I was just in awe of everybody like in all in awe of whoever was just standing there and now now that I'm a little bit more seasoned I'm definitely more critical Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Conducting is just so fascinating because there are just so many different styles. Yeah. They really are. It's just really, really interesting. But you can usually tell when someone really knows what they're talking about mm-hmm. and has a really deep and thorough understanding of the score and the essence of the music. And if that is also coupled by a certain charisma and uh, ability to communicate to the orchestra what he wants with that knowledge that he has or she, (laughs) then it's really magical. One of my favorite conductors is Fabio Luisi, who is the chief of that orchestra, the radio orchestra in Denmark where I was playing. And he was very much like that, just a real maestro, he really, he just knew it. He knew the score, he knew the music, he knew the message, the essence of it, and he knew what he wanted to say. Mm. And he was also so incredibly charismatic as a as a human being. Like, 
warm, but also extremely demanding. I mean, I, I really thought that sometimes the roof was going to come down during the concerts because the orchestra was just exploding. It was just really <laughs> magical. Yeah. But that really, really depends on the chemistry between the orchestra and the conductor. Yeah. And that it's different from orchestra, or, orchestra to orchestra. So there can be a conductor that has an amazing connection with one orchestra and then they can go to a different place and just not have any success at all. So I guess there's also the way of working, you know, how, how often to interrupt the playing, for example. I remember I found that really, really challenging whenever a conductor had that style of stopping often and uh, kind of practicing, you know, like some people yeah. would practice their instrument mm -hmm. and uh, it, it didn't work for me. Maybe it works for some, but it's not really my way of working in an orchestra or chamber music or on my own. It's just, it just right. drains me of energy. And it just makes it worse and worse. Yeah. And that also really depends on who it is. Because I, I, I do remember certain instances where it, there was like a really famous conductor who was kind of stopping a lot. And the orchestra didn't care. <sighs> because what he was saying was just so important. <laughs> and it just made such a huge difference. And in the end, the result was just incredible right. but yeah th that is um definitely not a popular rehearsal method for sure mm. so apart from playing in an orchestra what more do you want from life as a musician mm. or maybe it's all you need oh you mean like chamber music for example I love to play chamber music and Yeah, I don't know. I just want to always be growing, I guess, as a developing as an artist, always kind of pushing the envelope, just kind of um, challenging all the extremes and being able to come closer to really touching the audience when I play, no matter what the setting is. No matter what the... The setting, if it's chamber music or solo recital or orchestra, whatever it is but to just come closer to that ideal, like, um, you know, when you can get the entire audience in complete rapture. Does uh, teaching appeal to you? Yeah, I would love to teach. Sometimes when I practice, I imagine talking to a student saying, see, this is really good. If you have this kind of problem in a piece, then you can practice it this way. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's a sign that I should start but I haven't really done much teaching yet in my career but I'm definitely interested yeah and it's also extremely important it's so important to kind of nurture the next generation of audience members too what do you think makes an excellent concert master mm, that's a very good question um Because I know you really like your concert master. Oh, yes. She's fantastic. Yeah. So um, she's just 100% prepared all the time. Almost never makes a mistake. When she makes a mistake, people record the date and the time and say, okay, that's the one for the season. <laughs> okay. And it's just, I, I know from 
you know, there's just a lot of practical stuff when you when you're a concert master that you have to think about, like figuring out the bowings for all of the strings or you have to go to all of the meetings in the orchestra, the, you know, the program committee, the all of the auditions, you have to be in all of them. There's just a lot of practical work and you have to kind of be good at that as well. If you're an incredible player and you're a little bit messy offstage, that can be a real headache for the rest of the orchestra. You know, if you show up on Monday and the Boeings are a complete mess and, you know, that makes everything less pleasant and at work and creates all kinds of problems and it doesn't really run very smoothly. So, yeah, she's excellent. I mean, just runs a very tight ship and everything's organized and prepared all the time. And, yeah. Inspiring. Yeah, very inspiring. Yeah. And uh, what do you appreciate in a good cello section leader? That, ooh, um, well, I guess, um, you know, this, this, the same stuff as a concertmaster, I guess, prepared, well-prepared, and, I mean, with any of the group leaders, I think it's also important to have uh, some kind of emotional intelligence as well. You don't have to be best friends with everybody in your group, but, you know, if you're a leader figure, then you want to be friendly and you want to feel like, like I like the group leaders that really feel like they're leading a team, that it's like a team effort instead of, oh, I'm the soloist in the front and you're going to follow me mm. kind of attitude. And strong, I guess, because, you know, the cello leader has the base, base behind her. So she has to kind of, carry the responsibility of the of the bass and have good rhythm and that kind of thing, I guess. Yeah. And the group leaders have to always have contact with each other. That's really important. Especially if, you know, it's not always that you get a conductor that sometimes you can get some a conductor who's a little bit young or inexperienced or something. And then the orchestra is really dependent on those the string leaders being on the same page and mm. having a lot of contact with each other so that they can keep the orchestra t- together. Yeah. Yeah, because a good orchestra doesn't really need a conductor for many things. Like, what is that extra... What What is the conductor supposed to bring in extra that the orchestra can't already do on its own? Um, I mean, just for practical purposes... You know, you, you can't, it, or it would be very messy to have this democratic process where, you know, all hundred people on stage have their own idea of how they want the music to sound. And, you know, if you try to do it that way, it's just going to sound like a mess with everybody having their own interpretation of Mahler's Second Symphony, you know. So the conductor is the interpreter, I would say, like he or she has has a vision of how he or she wants the music to sound and the orchestra well is supposed to follow that <laughs> so yeah it's more for musical purposes i would say especially these days because orchestras can almost play together without a conductor except in like certain transitions and different places and stuff but it's definitely true that 
they need much less of the beating all the time than they did before. So the conductor is the one that gives the orchestra a, a communal interpretation and mm-hmm. vision of the music that everybody can agree on yeah. or tries to agree on. <laughs> it's like a, an effective nation. Yeah. If the, if the different sections are different countries and then they need to have a certain amount of contact with each other and listen to each other and uh, react to each other, respond to each other. And then there is this yeah. dictator uh, in charge <laughs> of the broad picture. Yeah. And, you know, usually the conductor, I mean, the conductor's instrument or his the work that he does before coming on stage is to study the score. So he usually is the one that probably knows the music the best. That's why if you have someone that's really knowledgeable and charismatic, then it can really be um, really magical to mm-hmm. have this. Um, yeah, because then the orchestra says, okay, that sounds like a really amazing interpretation. I can agree with that. And then, mm-hmm. You know, you have a hundred people working in the same direction for the same goal, which can be really amazing. Mm. Are there more challenges to orchestral work life that hasn't already been mentioned? Challenges too. I think. Um, I mean, I don't have kids yet, but I think when you have kids, it can't. There, there's all kinds of challenges that come up when you're an orchestral musician. For example, you know, if you're a couple and you both work in the same orchestra, like we have a lot of couples in our orchestra, if we're going on tour, they have to choose who gets to go on tour and who gets to stay with the kids. Or, you know, they have to have someone look after the kids. And it's the same if if they if we have an evening rehearsal or something and both people are playing or even if, you you know, the hours are, are a little bit different and a lot of the par- the people who have little kids, they don't like when we have evening rehearsals or afternoon rehearsals because then they just don't see their kids all day or they have to get babysitter or whatever. Yeah. So um, I think that can be challenging. And just keeping up the, yeah, like, I guess we covered it already, but keep keeping in shape when you get older and... Fingers get slower or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Keep up the inspiration and, yeah. Yeah. That's definitely challenging. Mm. And also maybe uh, feeling enthusiastic about the, you know, the symphony that you play the most or, uh, I, I don't know, maybe some pieces can feel less inspiring when you play them many times. Yeah. I think that's, that's the, less of a problem than you would think though i mean i see some of the my older like the the more senior colleagues in my orchestra and if it's a really fantastic conductor that they're really excited about and it it could be beethoven 7 you know that they've played a gajillion times and they're still like completely over the moon after the concert so that's that's actually really inspiring because it, I guess it means that, you know, there's always something new to discover, especially if there's a new 
or just a, a really good conductor that comes and shows us something new. Mm. But if it's a if it's not not so inspiring conductor or yeah, or if it's you know if there's some other struggles at work, then it can definitely be challenging to be playing the th- same things over and over. And like I said, you can't choose what you play, so you have to just kind of show up and play what's what's on the program. Yes. So I guess that can also be kind of frustrating sometimes. Mm. Have you experienced any um, uncertainties when it comes to you know the this orchestra as a, an institution that you know, is kind of provided by the state? Is there any at any time any yeah insecurity about uh, you know whether or not? Uh, this amount of support can continue if your wages can stay that high and keep rising any of those things if they have to cut down on something i know that orchestras in europe have had to or have been forced to shut down no i mean uh that's um i guess that ties into what i said before about you know being fortunate to work in this orchestra in Norway, like financially speaking too, because I've never heard anything like that mm. in my entire time working at the Phil. When I was in Denmark, there was that exact year when I was there, there was a 20% budget cut of the entire radio. Yeah. I, I I'm not following the politics right now, but at the time, like 2018 to 2019, the like, the right parties were in power. So they they announced this huge cut. And um, they used to have a chamber orchestra there as well, the entertainment orchestra that was also under the radio umbrella. And um, before I was, before my time there, that orchestra actually just disappeared, like almost overnight. They just all of a sudden didn't exist anymore. So, yeah, it was really... Um, frightening and and in the end the orchestra wasn't touched at all so nobody got laid off in the orchestra I think maybe a few people in the administration might have gotten laid off but there were like 400 people that got laid off or something that day and the orchestra for some reason wasn't touched so they were lucky but that was going on in Denmark so um you know It can happen here as well. It can happen anywhere. Yeah, we're always dependent on the, you know, the politics of the time, I guess, to get paid for our work. Do you do you also have a YouTube channel where you show off yourself? No, I don't. <laughs> Do you have a shy mouth? <laughs> what did you say? I'm still a shy mouth in some ways. <laughs> you have a safe job. That's what you have. Uh, <laughs> but you have maybe a Facebook page or something? Uh, no, I don't have that either. Cool. We- website. Do you have a website? I don't have a website. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a sign of success when you, you're making a comfortable living as a musician and you have had no need at all for Facebook or YouTube or even a website. 
No, I, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't have any of those things. So we should go to Oslo and uh, go to the concert house and listen to the concerts you're involved in there. Yeah, or you can go to the Oslo Philharmonic's YouTube channel. They have a lot of televised concerts, and I'm in a lot of them, especially the recent ones. That's that's the best I can do. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you have any questions for me, feel free to send me an email or write me on this podcast's Instagram account. I'll include my email address and a link to my coffee page in the show notes. And if you just want to listen to this episode and not do anything afterwards, that's totally fine. I do it all the time myself. Just do what you have to do to achieve what you want. Maybe you now feel motivated to prepare for an orchestral audition or listen to a symphony while you walk among the autumn trees. And yeah, don't forget to call your best friend or your dad or someone that you haven't talked to in a long time. And stop postponing that thing you keep postponing. Dedicate an hour of your day to do that one thing that's been weighing you down. Maybe getting it done will free up some of your creativity and productivity. And also, take a deep breath. (sighs) 